This podcast was made possible by Thrive AP, a transition to practice solution for PAs, NPs, and the facilities that employ them. Thrive AP's educational curriculums accelerate skill application of advanced practice providers, improving outcomes, retention, and career satisfaction. Thank you to Thrive AP for partnering with our show. Okay, we have off script for July 20th, talking about alternate career paths. So this is going to be the second episode where we are going to get loose. Okay, Sarah, I'm already loose. Sarah, we're going to count it in. Always Three, loose. Two, one. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode on the Off Script Podcast. I'm happy that you're here, that you decided to join the Patreon. I hope that you are finding all the show notes and uh, extra content helpful. And if you'd like to see something a little bit different or need some more information, reach out. Uh, we want to know what you need. Uh, we want to be able to support you as best we can. Uh, but let's move right into it. This is following up on our episode with Mike explaining his alternate career paths, uh, which is pharmaceutical consulting. We can get a little bit more into exactly how you get into it, maybe the fun, maybe the negative, and how we can have a little bit more of an opportunity for entrance into this without having to work with pharma right off the bat. Mike, I think this is probably the place where I should be sarcastic and I need to be a little bit more of that professional demeanor that I give that Miss Jones, 85-year-old, you know, I'm very proper with her. Maybe I need to you know, imagine Mrs. Jones in front of me for the other podcast. Uh, but you tell me, all right? And listeners, you tell me, what do you want? Well, I think the goal of the podcast was to tackle dry, boring topics in a fun way. So as much as I complain about you, you're probably needed because I don't think I can do things in a fun and interesting way. I, I Yeah, I think that I've got a better chance of being recruited into some sort of, I don't know, kids party clown over being a pharmaceutical consultant. But uh, I think I would be successful in that role if I chose to do that as well. You, you'd be a damn good party clown. Thank you. So what do you want uh, so, to talk about? I, I think if it's okay, because um, you did take it first, I would love to talk a little bit about speaking and how to get started. Sure. Yeah. So let's actually talk about next steps. So I, I put together a list and because this is you know a patron only episode, if you're listening to this, that means you also have access to our show notes. So you'll be able to see this list. So I wanted to put together a list of what you can do. So if you listen to this and you say, my goodness, speaking sounds great. What can I do? So I think the first step is if you want to be a speaker, do you feel that you have expertise in your area of clinical practice? And expertise does not necessarily mean I have 20 publications in this field. It does not mean that you have to be, you know, the director of your department. It does not mean you have to be, you know, an owner of a hospital system or anything like that. But rather, are you someone that is looked up to by your peers or by your community within your area of practice? If you don't consider yourself at your current position to be in that role where you are considered an expert or you are considered someone that has a high level of expertise, then step one is make a plan. Think about how you can formulate you know, next steps in your career that can build you up to be what we call KOL, a key opinion leader. Because essentially pharmaceutical industry or just industry in general, they're looking for people to be consultants that are going to be leaders, that are going to be people that can influence their peers. 
So some things that you can do to build your CV, to demonstrate on your CV that you are someone of influence. I think the low-hanging fruit is teaching and faculty appointments. We talked about that in one of the previous episodes, that if you want to kind of plus up your CV, a really great way to do it is start precepting. Identify schools that will offer faculty appointment if you precept. I've got one school that uh, I have a faculty appointment. I take two students per year, and that's the minimum that I need to take to maintain a faculty appointment there. So two students a year is not a big commitment. And as a result, I get faculty appointment at a rather prestigious school. So teaching is really good. Not only is teaching something where, um, you know, the faculty appointment looks very good, but teaching is also good because it teaches you or uh, helps you build those public speaking skills, which are so important in in industry if you're going to be a speaker. The other thing that you can do is publish. So Publishing original research may be very big and intimidating, but there are a lot of peer-reviewed journals that are always looking for retrospective um, you know, reviews that are a little bit easier to conduct. There's also a lot of uh, opportunity to write more editorial type of pieces. I, I wrote one recently for a, a journal called PA Clinics, and it was about loneliness and depression. So it was more of a, an opinion piece, even though it was still a, a journal article. And that was actually a lot of fun. I enjoyed writing it. But writing and and getting published is another great way to build up your CV. The other thing that you can do is medical education. So typically, at least in my career path, I started with pharmaceutical promotional speaking and then have kind of meandered into medical education. But you can go the other way, too. If your state association has a conference, if you're, you know, national organization, the American Academy of Physician Assistants or whatever the equivalent would be for pharmacy or for nurse practitioners, if you have a conference, submit an abstract to to give a presentation, give a, an educational talk there. That's another great way to build up your resume, show that you're a leader. If you're giving a talk at your state organization or at some sort of educational event, um, that not only is a public speaking, so it builds that skill set, but shows that you're an influencer. And it's not a big, it's not a big barrier. No, it's very in either, right? Yeah. Almost every conference, about six months before the conference is held, they'll usually send out a mass email calling for abstracts and asking mm-hmm. for people to submit potential speaking topics. Yeah, and so students do it. I mean, there's mm-hmm. if if a student's doing it, you can do it. You have more experience. Yep. And I think it it's really easy to do. Obviously, you need to be knowledgeable on the topic you pick. So don't pick a topic that you don't feel you can comfortably speak about to an audience. But it's a really low-hanging fruit item that can build your CV, build your role as a KOL. The other thing that you can do is take leadership positions in your organization. In our previous episode with Matt Troop, we talked about, uh, Matt said one of the things that allowed him to transition to a healthcare startup and healthcare tech was he sat on the informatics committee at his hospital and he was able to take a lot of volunteer leadership positions within his organization that built that skill set. The other thing that you can do is volunteer in professional organizations. So I'm the uh, chair of industry relations for the New York PA Association and it's been an incredible role. It's allowed me to meet. What are you doing over there? Me? Yeah, I can hear you typing. Oh, oops. Sarah, you can cut that, but I, no, don't cut no, it. Don't cut it. I write your notes. Okay, I'm I'm taking notes on Aww, what you're saying. So thank don't you. Even... So so does that I'm make you myself? No, does, what does that make you my secretary? I mean, John, take I a dictation. Nice cl- I do take. Uh, I, I'm never. I'm not gonna say it. I don't. Stockings have felt nice people. That's all. Oh, say. very nice. Go ahead. You Go ahead. you could you could rock the skirt. Okay. 
<laughs> All right. So volunteer position. So the I currently I'm serving as the chair of industry relations for the New York PA Association, and it's a, a really wonderful position because I'm very familiar with industry, and I think I've been able to help the the PA Association a lot because of my skill set. But at the same time, it's also put me in contact with a lot of other people in industry. It's allowed me to network. And it looks really good on my CV. So obviously there's mutual benefit there for professional organization volunteerism. So I think that's step one is make sure that you are a KOL. And if you're not a KOL, identify some low-hanging fruit that you can start to build your CV to get to the point where you are considered a leader in your field. Step two, identify a product that you use, believe in, and understand the pharmacology or pathophysiology. So this doesn't have to be just a drug. If you're in a surgical specialty, it could be a device. But if you, you know, if there's something that you're not really familiar with or you don't use it that often, don't try and be a speaker for it. And once again, that's not a quid pro quo of, hey, I write a lot of this product, so you better make me a speaker. But rather, if you're writing a lot of product, it probably means that it's a drug you believe in. It's a drug that you consider to be efficacious, but also a drug that you're going to be very familiar with and have an understanding of the pathophysiology, um, the underlying mechanism. So if you identify that drug, you say, hey, this this brand name drug is one that I think is pretty special. I, you know, I'd put it in the water if I could. Talk to your local sales rep. The sales reps have no sway over speaker selection, but a lot of times the sales rep can tell you whether the company may be recruiting for speakers. So if you talk to the sales rep and they say, we have five speakers in the area already, they're, they're never going to add more. Or alternatively, they may say, yeah, we've only got one speaker and we're always looking for speakers to, to add on because we just don't have enough to, to satisfy the demand for programs. So once you've talked to the sales rep, if you've identified that they may be in the market for more speakers, ask to have a meeting with the medical science liaison. Typically, the MSLs, they're not commercial, so they have no tie into sales, and they're usually involved in speaker selection. Mm-hmm. Once you meet with the MSL, you really have to do two things. You have to express your interest in being a speaker or consulting, but not do it in a way that is pathetic and begging. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you don't want to get on there and be like, I really want to speak for you because that's a bad look. But I, I think you get on the meeting with the MSL and say, you know, hey, if there's ever opportunities where I could be of service or where I can I can do consulting, I'm, I certainly believe in this product and I'm always willing to help in whatever capacity. You want to do it in a diplomatic manner. But meeting with that MSL is really the first step because when you meet with the MSL, it's essentially a job interview. If they, if they come away from that meeting thinking that you're not very knowledgeable, they're not going to nominate you as a speaker. If they think that you're an impressive person who understands the drug, who really is passionate about the product, that's going to go a long way because they're the ones that are going to put your nomination forward to potentially be a speaker. And there's probably, we, we talked a lot about compliance on the original episode, but the, I have to make the point that pharma does a great job at separating the dif, the divisions in their company. Uh, MSLs, even though they may collaborate with sales in some sense, they do not really talk back and forth much. They're part of some of the meetings, some of the medical affairs conversations or meetings, um, drug development, some of the pipeline conversations and prep for releasing the medications, but they keep everything else very separate. So compliance usually isn't a problem when speaking to an MSL. Uh, I'm sure there's caveats as there always are, but not too much of a concern here unless I'm speaking out of my butt here. No, that's correct. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. So the MSLs, I mean, really, 
even if you're not a speaker, the MSLs are your friend because they are mm-hmm. just an incredible resource where they can get you data. They can get you studies that may not be um, accessible if you don't have, you know, database access. I, mm-hmm. Thankfully, another reason to be a teach to to have faculty appointment is you get access to the research database. Um, but it, if yeah, you it's, don't, it's your own DI person. Like everybody's got their DI folks in, in the hospital, but you got your own personal, mm-hmm. and they want they want you to talk to them. So. Yeah. Yeah, so there, get to know your MSLs. That's really a big takeaway from this. So if you're nominated, so the MSL, you meet with them. They say, oh, my goodness, you would be such an asset. I'm putting your name forward. If you're nominated, that does not mean that you're going to be a speaker. Typically what will happen is if you get nominated, the company will then reach out and request your CV. So make sure your CV is updated. Make sure your CV includes all relevant experience that demonstrates that you're a key opinion leader. So have your faculty appointments on there. If you gave a CME talk at some point, include that in there. Make sure you have all of those relevant skill sets and experiences on there. If you are selected, so once again, not everybody that gets nominated gets selected. They're going to look at your CV and determine if you are someone who, you know, a key opinion leader that is within their marketing strategy, within what they want. So maybe they don't need another PA because they're they're really not marketing towards PAs strongly at that point. But if you are someone that they identify and they want, then they'll send you an email and they'll say you've been selected. They'll then send you a contract. Make sure to read the contract very carefully. As we talked about in the independent contractor episode, when you're an independent contractor, the contract is everything. So you need to make sure you're familiar with the contract because every company is going to have different rates of compensation. They're going to have different rates for program cancellation. There's some companies that I work for that if the program gets canceled within 24 hours, they don't pay you at all. And let me tell you, that is that is really annoying if you have a program in one day before it's supposed to happen, when you've already cleared your schedule, you've potentially already blocked off your clinic because you're, you're doing a lunch program, and then they cancel on you and you don't even get paid for it. So be aware of those cancellation policies and then also different policies for mileage. Typically, these speaker contracts will have an out-of-town and an in-town rate, your in-town rate is going to be much lower because the out-of-town rate is going to be higher in recognition that more of your time is going to be taken with travel. But I've had some speaker programs where the in-town rate goes all the way up to 150 miles. Mm. So, you know, if I'm spending 150 miles, that means I'm spending two and a half to three hours driving one way. Mm-hmm. So you're giving me an in-town rate, but then asking me to incur six hours worth of travel, that's a no-go in my book. So, so make how many sure times you're looking these, at do that. these things happen, though? I mean, have you had these presentations canceled on you? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of times it'll happen because if you have six people that are scheduled, you know, RSVP to go to a dinner mm-hmm. and then the office gets COVID mm-hmm. or, you know, someone someone drops out and then the next provider says, oh, well, I'm not going to go if, if Jenny Sue is not going. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they, these do get canceled on occasion. The good news is most companies, if it's under 24 hours, you get paid. Okay. So if I get paid to not do a talk because everyone canceled, that's a good day for me. If I don't get paid and they cancel 24 hours in advance and then I'm stuck sitting there with no patience on my schedule, that's a really annoying thing. Yeah. So be aware of the contract. Make sure you're looking at all those details. And then beyond that, the next step is understand fair market value. So every time a speaker is contracted, They have to pay the speaker a fair market value. And the reason for this is because it could be a kickback if the speaker is getting an exorbitant honorarium for their talk. So fair market value, though, is a a huge area of 
of confusion, of gray area, because every company is going to have a proprietary formula for determining fair market value. So just as a general rule for people, usually rates for these talks range from anywhere from $750 to $3,000 um, per talk. So, you know, the money is quite good. Um, there's some outliers out there. I, I, I'm aware of, of some companies that I've heard PAs and NPs getting like $500 for a talk. If there's anyone out there that is taking $500 for a dinner talk, please contact me. We'll have a conversation about it because you're getting screwed over. Um, Non-physicians typically have a much greater variability in their rates. And the reason for this is a lot of drug companies are still struggling to understand how to calculate fair market value for non-physicians. So just to give an example of this, so I'm a PA. If you go on to the, the federal government department of labor bureau of labor statistics if you look up a pa their average compensation is i think like 110 so there will be some companies that look at that and say oh 110 so then they'll offer you a fair market value rate of 160 dollars per hour but what's not realized is that more and more pas and ps are working in productivity models where you know you may be getting paid rvus you may be getting paid a certain component of a percentage of collections um, I'm in a, a productivity type model. So that type of compensation would be far, far too low because I could make more in my clinic than I could if if I took a rate like that. And we can talk about how to calculate FMV. But so there's a lot of misunderstanding on the industry side of what to do with PAs and NPs. So some companies just have a flat rate where it doesn't matter if you're a physician, doesn't matter if you're a PA and NP. Um, it may just be, hey, if you're a doctoral level training this is our flat rate and everyone gets the same. And the way they do their FMV is there's no variation. There's no high, there's no low, everyone gets the same. But other companies have different tiers. And the way that they tier is is confusing and highly proprietary. But you do have to be careful because they will try and lowball you. This is a business negotiation. A pharma company doesn't want to overpay you. They want to try and get your services for a low rate. And I think all too often PAs or NPs, because they're not as familiar with speaking, um, and this may happen to MDs as well, but I'm just not as familiar. They may take rates that are below market just because they don't know what to compare to. I think that's it's great to understand what your worth is. Maybe there's probably a lot of folks out there who don't know how much they're actually making off of any clinical work they're doing, whether it's product that you're selling as a pharmacist or how many patients you're seeing. If you're not under a productivity model, you're probably not aware of how much you're actually worth. Mm-hmm. And that's where you came around last time. Uh, we talked about that and said, I realized the opportunity I could uh, have to make more money as I was producing more uh, value to the company. Uh, and that wasn't until you understood the margins and all the um, the costs associated with running the practice. So maybe the first step is, understand how much money you're actually making your company. And that's a great starting point. Do you have a good way of doing that? Good transition. All right. So let's run through this. So we're, here's my personal approach to fair market value. And this is not set in stone. This is just a starting point. And I will point out that fair market value is not just explicitly what you can generate as a clinician. So if you are a nationally known speaker you, you, you know, are, are someone that is a, a big KOL, you know, has a lot of influence, then you should garner higher rates of compensation than just what your clinic alternative would be. 
And, you know, we talked earlier that the average rate for a speaker program is anywhere from 750 to 3000 but there's national speakers that, you know, are these big time rock stars that are making probably double or triple that. So FMV, like I said, FMV can be confusing, but here's the way that you can establish your floor. And I encourage all of you that are listening to this to check out the show notes because I'm going to go through this somewhat quickly and I'm probably going to lose you because I'm going to go kind of deep in the numbers and nerd out. So let's use me as an example. So I work in an outpatient clinic. I see about three patients per hour. My average rate of coding is a 99213. So the 2021 Medicare reimbursement rate for a 99213 is $93.51. So if you use the work RVU, which is the professional co- component, so RVUs are made up of three components. You have the work RVU, RVU, which is what level of that reimbursement should go to the professional that's doing the work. Then you have the practice overhead, what component of that um, reimbursement should go to the practice to cover overhead. And then you have malpractice. What component of that reimbursement should go to cover malpractice? So the work RVU, generally work RVU accounts for about 50.86%. So if we take that and say, okay, so in my RVUs, I should be receiving about 50% of it. And if you're on a productivity model, you know, my hope would be that you're getting somewhere around that, maybe higher, maybe a little bit lower, but it should be roughly around that. So if we're doing three 99213s per hour, which is a conservative estimate because I do bill a lot of 99214s, but for the sake of this, we'll just keep it at three threes per hour. So that's $93.51 times three because I'm doing three of them per hour and then divided by 50.86%. So that equates to $142.68 and that would be hourly revenue generated by the clinician. Going right to you. That's the going rate to me because that is the component of the revenue that I'm generating that is the work RVU. So about 50% of the revenue I generate should be going to my pocket. So $142 an hour sounds great, but keep in mind that that would be before benefits, before taxes and all that. So when you you know take out taxes, benefits, then that's probably whittling down to pretty close to what your, your hourly rate is if you're you know a salaried employee or an hourly employee. Consulting work is paid as a 1099, meaning there's no benefits or taxes withheld. So my rule of thumb is you should always add about 30 to 40% to that to, to account for the fact that there's no benefits, that you're paying your own taxes. So the 30 to 40% should also represent a premium rate compared to your clinical day job because you're taking time away from clinic or you're taking time away from family if you're working in the evenings. So you should be paid at a premium so at least 30 or 40% beyond what you can just make in your day job. So if you take $142.68 per hour and you multiply it times 1.4, so we're going to add a 40% premium to that, what you come up with is $199.75 per hour. So using this formula, the minimum hourly rate that I would accept for consulting work is $200 per hour. Because that's, if it's, that's conservative too. Yeah, so if it's under $200 per hour, I am losing money because there's opportunity costs there and I could just go work in my clinic and make more money or equivalent money. So if I'm going to be doing consulting work, my minimum rate that I will accept is 200 an hour. And like I said earlier, certainly, you know, the goal is to have much higher rates than that and some companies that I work for do pay me much higher than that. But I that's my floor. So I would never accept anything below that. And that's using that FMV calculation because my clinical job is my floor. I'm not so going to take work that is lo- lower paying than my clinical job. 
how often have you had to turn down these potential uh, presentations then? Um, I'd say I turned down. So, you know, I'm in a position now where I've been doing this long enough where I feel comfortable turning down work. When you first start doing this, sometimes you have to take crappy jobs with crappy rates um, because you have to build your your reputation. You have to show that you're good at what you do. I'm at a point now where probably 30 or 40 percent I, I turned down. I just actually turned one down. Um, we'll we'll keep names out of it. But mm-hmm. it they offered me. $500 for, it was $550 to do a dinner. And that is, I, I, you know, I got to be careful because of non-disclosures, but we'll say that is about a third of my next lowest paying contract. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, this is not going to work. This isn't even close to my fair market valuation. I'd love to talk to someone about this. Mm-hmm. And their response was, well, we talked to management and their recommendation is to sign the contract and then down the road, we'll we'll make sure that we have a conversation yeah, with you to readjust the rate. I said, yeah, I'm not doing that because I'm not signing this and then never doing any work because it's a yep. bad look if I sign a contract and then turn down every every opportunity to work for it under that contract. Well, you also, when you say that you're comfortable, you know you're worth in your rate. You're not just throwing a number out there because other people said to do that. It's you now are comfortable saying, no, I, I can justify why I'm asking for this amount of money. It's not because I'm just trying to throw that out there saying, I wonder how much they're going to give me if I push harder. Um, I think it's fair. Yeah. And when you when you negotiate, so I guess, you know, the takeaway from this is don't be afraid to negotiate with pharma. As I said mm-hmm. earlier, they're motivated to try and get you for as low of a rate as possible. Yeah. So it's a negotiation. It's okay to go back and forth. And guys, it's okay to also walk away from a contract too. Yeah. You know, you don't want to take something that is going to diminish your value or where they're going to take advantage of you. Because once again, hopefully you have a day job that is paying the bills. If you're speaking, it's because it's icing on the cake. So don't take less, especially if it's going to be taking away from family, if it's going to be taking away from other responsibilities. You want to make sure it's worth your time and you don't want to devalue your time. Yeah. It's better It's better to take, you know, two very high paying contracts and work 50% less and take four low-paying contracts and be constantly working for low rates. So earlier on, you had mentioned that there's potential where you could be part of the ad boards. Um, and ad boards, it, it can vary widely from market research for promotional materials to uh, inventory, anything. So that is a wonderful way to start negotiating with folks because they are used to it they are quick conversations they there's not usually a lot of uh fallout from it because a lot of these companies are using research firms to recruit smes or kols so i i will get messaged on linkedin or emails from these research facilities uh and they're the ones that who do the negotiating you're not talking directly to their client so there's a, a level of separation where you can feel a little bit more confident. I've had to turn up, turn down some recently because some of the rates they were trying to give me was exactly what you're saying, way below fair market value. Mm-hmm. And I would rather 30-minute phone call that they want to ask me about, uh, I don't know, a new potential pipeline medication, what I would think in, in my industry. If you're not paying me enough for it, I'd rather sit for 30 minutes in my car with my eyes closed. It's just right. yep. y- you get to... Um, you get to choose what makes you happy or not. That's why we're doing this. Uh, if it's not, if you don't feel value, don't do it. And that's exactly why you're probably con- considering leaving your position uh, for something else. 
you want right. to find that value. Um, I think as well, because you're talking primarily about uh, the specifics of how to enter, how to negotiate, and how to begin. There are some uh, clinicians that don't know if they are uh, speakers. They don't know if they can. They don't know if they get stage fright. There's a lot of fear about speaking in front of others, even if you have all the information, just in the fear that you won't be able to answer a question. Um, so you might be asking, how can I just practice my speaking? I can give some, some of my recommendations, and I'm going to ask you for yours too, Mike, but... One of the easiest ways to do this, I think, is to reach out to your alma mater. Uh, pharma does look highly on acad academia. Uh, they want connections with uh, universities and colleges with terminal degrees. And so if you can be a bridge, it can start by offering your specific uh, uh, concentration and say, I would like to speak on heart failure or this specific medication or IT, anything. They will eat that up. And it may be at very little cost. I've I've been quoted I've been quoted some honorariums from colleges where it's definitely not worth worth the time and money rather, but it's an investment, and you get to put that on your CV because you are educating other healthcare providers and you are doing it in an academic sense in a college setting. Very valuable, very easy to get into. And you're going to be well appreciated for it. Yeah. And that's a good point because as we're having these conversations, don't, um, I don't want listeners to conflate these hard negotiations with industry to also involve teaching because academia is historically very low paying. <laughs> there, there's a lot of trade off. You don't get paid a whole lot of money to have academic appointment or teach, but you get a lot of prestige and there's a lot of benefit that you can then trade on with other positions. Mm -hmm. So it, just, you're speaking with students. Yeah. So it's going to be more fun. It's go mm -hmm. You're going to be able to be more, more relaxed. relaxed. Yeah. You can be a little bit more free with how you talk. Um, so you don't have all of those kickback statutes um, lined Correct. up against you. Yeah. So just to give context. So when I, because I, I, I have faculty appointments at three different schools. I precept for eight different schools. And then I teach at one. And on average, the pay is about a hundred bucks an hour. Which I mean, it's not terrible. It's still you know reasonable, and uh, in I think not uh, not too far off what a going rate is for a clinically practicing PA. But for industry consulting, my my ranges are usually between two fifty to three fifty an hour. Mm -hmm. So you know, industry is much higher, and that's fine. Um, but academics, a lot of times, you're taking lower paying gigs because a they're fun, they're enjoyable, there's something really gratifying about giving back and teaching. But then also those teaching opportunities will build your resume and allow you to go pursue those big whales, those higher paying gigs. Yeah. We've been encouraging folks not to be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. And we have to just be careful because sometimes you, you're told, don't let people take advantage of you. And then you take a bad cop approach to everybody. You're not going to make friends anyways if you're mm -hmm. acting like that. Mm -hmm. So, And you're going to come off seeming as though you don't know what you're talking about and you're not aware of how these honorariums are paid out. So don't go in arguing for more pay from an academic uh, side because they might not ask you back uh, because it's more about relationships for them um, and it's more about exposure. It's not about money for the um, those departments. Yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. 
Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, on our end, one of the things that we want to continue to do with White Coats is not only provide the podcast as the source of educational material, but then also be available. If anyone had specific questions, please reach out. We certainly have opportunities where we can even do one-on-one consulting if someone wanted to have specific questions or make a game plan of how to become a speaker or how to become involved in industry. We're always happy to help that way, um, you know, with free advice, but then also paid advice if it needed to go more deep and, uh, you know, more individually tailored. So if you guys are listening to this and it, now every time I see you guys, I think I, I have like I a, a tense moment. But, so if you're listening to this and this is something where you have interest, but you maybe don't know how to do it, reach out. Um, we're happy to help. We The whole purpose of us doing this is we want to really empower people to have really gratifying careers. And this is something that I think is really cool and can be very profitable. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit further to say that we want you to contact us. Yeah. Um, it's not just, uh, yeah, we'll get to it if we can, or uh, we'll be happy if you do. We want you to contact us. Uh, it's good for collaboration. It's good for networking. It's it's good for you and us. So please reach out. Um, I would love to talk to you more. And I'll even offer a little bit more. We, he's He, being Mike. I'm being very. I'm trying to be more professional for Mike. That's all. Thank you. He, we mentioned that uh, there's ways to get in through academia. There's also other ways to um, learn how to speak uh, more effectively if you if you know that you have a struggle in an area. Um, so I can give you some ideas of to where to find the educational content, uh, different courses that are available, free, paid. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to. Because uh, even your own business may even pay for you to go and get these certifications. Like I think Dow Carnegie, the it's not as big as it was before, but Dow Carnegie, a lot of businesses would bring uh, their potential executives or um, uh, high priority employees to go through these programs so that they can more effectively speak to their uh, their in. Uh, external and internal stakeholders. So it is important to hone those skills. Uh, but but lastly, um, outside of reaching out to us to ask us for help, um, I'm going to reiterate what I said in the last podcast. If you know of folks who you want to connect us with who m- might need these types of services or even just connect with us as a collaboration, we, we want that as well. Uh, I will offer this for, for anybody who is questioning their CV or what, how they're being perceived through their own words. I will take a look at your CV. I've restructured many CVs uh, for colleagues. I enjoy doing it. Uh, so that is a part of the services that we offer as well. And if that's valuable to you, just send it off and I'll even just take a look at it for free. And if you want us to take a full evaluation of it, let us help you out and show you where maybe some weak points might be that you can improve upon. We'd be happy to help you with that as well. Uh, But I digress because we could talk forever about this topic. We can go many different directions and we're going to save it for future podcasts. And we've got an exciting guest that we will just tease to you guys right now coming up soon following this program. Um, I'm not going to mention who it is at this point, but stay tuned for the guest episode on transitions into these types of spaces and potentially even a program to assist you in getting there. So follow us uh, in a couple of weeks when we have him on and or her guys and uh, everybody sleep tight.
Have a great night. This is Mike and John, and off script, we'll see you back on the regular podcast over at White Coast Roundtable and back here on Patreon next two weeks, not next week, two weeks out. All right, everybody. See you later. Perfect.